The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. The collective wealth of America's billionaires has jumped by $931 billion, or nearly one-third, since mid-March, roughly the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, even as the U.S. economy was reeling from a huge spike in joblessness and a collapse in taxes collected. According to a new report uh, out last month by uh, Americans for Tax Fairness and the Institute for Policy Studies, and here to talk about that report and some other facts is... uh, Uh, He's been on the show many times. It's been a while, though. From the uh, Institute for Policy Studies, Chuck Collins joins me by phone. Chuck, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Great to to be back with you. Yeah, it has has been a little while, but yet the work continues. Um, You know, the, the first question that I always ask when I look at a report like this is, um, is some of this, is it, pandemic profiteering or is it um, a matter of money attracts money well it's a com- it's a combination of things going on one is that the you know the, the there are certain companies that are well positioned to benefit during the pandemic uh, well certainly amazon at, yeah that the online retailers the online communications the zooms and the teams and the skypes uh, there's obviously the medical industry groups, you know, uh, you know, so Pfizer drug obviously saw their stock go up a lot. Um, and, and then there's, you know, what the, one of the challenges is that Wall Street, the market, anticipates future trends, and what they see is bigger monopolies. They see a consolidation of some companies to the detriment of all of our Main Street small businesses. Uh, so that's one reason we should be alarmed. Uh, and the other is just so much wealth concentrating in few hands. That's just a form of power imbalance that we should also be concerned about. And one of the things when you talk about Main Street and small businesses, uh, one of the things that this report 
points to is some, something close to 100,000 businesses lost to the pandemic? Yeah, those are the ones that, that have already said they're, they're permanently closing. Um, but, you know, we, we're going to see a lot more of that. And, and, and then, you know, coming out of the pandemic, it's going to be really hard for a lot of businesses to get back in and compete with a consolidated Amazon, a consolidated Target and a Walmart. These are stores partly because they sell groceries that have been allowed to stay open because they're essential providers, but a lot of other businesses have lost ground, and it's just going to be hard for them to get back into the market, if you will. The, the thing that that I can't seem to wrap my head around ever, and I think we've talked about this before, Chuck, is that when when Main Street is not doing well and John Q. Public isn't fully employed and making a decent wage, um, they're not buying stuff. Yeah, and I mean, how how do the 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 money barons benefit if there's no if there are no customers well in a way it's a it's a way in which the market is wired um against its own interest in a strange way you know if if wealth keeps concentrating and the middle class implodes and people's savings and wages go down uh, at a certain point, that's going to cause a seizing up in the market. There's only so many yachts the billionaires can buy. There's only so much consumption can be driven by, you know, the top one-tenth of one percent. And at a certain point, the health of the economy is tied to the health of small businesses, the health of, of the middle class. With that, that You know, the, we did have sort of a healthy shared prosperity economy uh, when you and I were just, you know, little little guys you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, there was much greater equality. The economy was really focused on building a middle class, not funneling money to the top. And that made for stable, healthy growth uh, that was broadly shared. But there and, was even a sense, and, and again, you and I have talked about this before in those days, where even the people at the top had this notion that when I do well, everyone does well. Yeah, I think there was a little clearer understanding of how the economy was interconnected in those ways. Um, and, and now I think what we're, seeing, we're living through is kind of the, the take the money and run uh, extractive, extreme extractive capitalism. You know, let's think of capitalism as having many flavors. And we're now living in this very... Uh, short-sighted, take-the-money-and-run kind of capitalism among a couple hundred global companies, let's just say. Uh, and that's, that's, that's where, you know, huge amounts of money is being taken out of the economy, out of the health system. I mean, you and I, we are, anybody who's, you know, gone and gotten a blood test in the last year or two, you know, and you, you, you actually look at the bill, even if you're, insur you're fortunate and your insurance covers part of it, you're like, what? You know, $1,200, $1,400 for a blood test? That's, that's, that's a form of extraction. Or, or think of it as a private tax. You know, it's, these corporations are taxing us and, and taking out vast amounts of treasure from the middle class. That's, that's a big change. Well, healthcare is its own special kind of weirdness. 
um, because there are middlemen deciding the values of these services that are exchanged between doctors and patients. You could think of it in almost any, whether it's your, you know, if you look at your cell phone bill or, you know, your your uh, internet bill or all these sort of uh, providers that uh, kind of are monopolies in a sense where, where you're, you're not, you're not really in a marketplace. You're, you're kind of, and the, you know, or the airlines, there's just extracting fees uh, everywhere you go, squeezing harder and harder on the customer. That's where it actually, what's missing is a countervailing power, which is government. You know, as much as we don't like government sometimes, who else is going to sort of represent the rest of us in at the bargaining table of how, how the fees and bills are cut out, carved up, you know? Um, that, like has, right now, that has been yeah. true at times, but the very people that are doing the extracting have pretty well wired themselves with... Um, with our federal government through campaign contributions and other things. That's right. I mean, even if you look at how some of the bailout bills were done, you know, all these big national restaurant chains got big bailouts. Uh, but local mom-and-pop restaurants didn't get any help, and they're the ones that are, you know, closing their doors and were giving money to, you know, Potbelly or, you know, Applebee's because and, they and, have and unfortunately big those are the ones with the best food. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all, not always. Yeah, but no, often. No, no commentary on the food, but yeah, that, but but the point is that they're as you were saying, they're they, these are national companies that are well connected. You know, in England, it's interesting what they did around restaurants. They said, "We will give you uh, a matching voucher." You know, citizen, the, the, the public. Well, you you'll decide what where you want to spend your restaurant dollars and get your takeout money and keep your local neighborhood restaurants open. And you go where you want to get the best food, and we'll pay half the bill. Uh, or instead of just sending billions millions of dollars to the airline industry, you give a voucher to every citizen. Here's a two hundred dollar travel voucher. You can give it to your friend. You can give it to your kids. You can sell it. But uh, it's a bottom up stimulus. Your reward. You, you, you reward the airlines that are still serving their customers best, not just handing them checks. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's part of how, you know, Washington lobbyists work. It's they, they, they're not operating on good old market principles here. Well, you know, this last round of stimulus uh, uh, negotiations, I guess, that... that crashed and burned just before the election um everybody was agreed that that all americans should get twelve hundred dollars should get a check for twelve hundred dollars and then you had democrats who insisted on getting some money for state and municipal government bailouts and you had Republicans that insisted on uh, bailing out uh, Wall Street uh, on some level, and yep. and and they just stopped instead of saying, "Okay, we agree on the twelve hundred dollars and just do that," and then fight about the other things. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, um, I think there's... Does that make too much sense for Washington? No, it it doesn't. You know, the the, the $1,200 stimulus, as well as the, you know, that extra $600 that was in a lot of people's unemployment checks until August 1st, that's what buoyed the economy, actually. That's what actually helped people to survive, pay their rents, pay their mortgages, pay, pay their food bills, uh, the loss of that $600. And here we're going into the winter when, again, people are having to make this choice between their health and their economic livelihood. It's like an unacceptable choice that you have to make. Um, that's That's tough. I mean... I actually believe that the support for state and local governments is a really important piece of it, too. Um, but, but yeah, we could break it into pieces. It is, you know? and the airlines could use some help. And, you know, I, I get all that. But, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, why can't we act on the things we agree on? Yeah, why can't we? Because uh, that is the bottom-up stimulus. That's kind of going back to your point. If the, if the middle class has some money in their pockets and they can continue to survive and that their spending and consumption doesn't seize up like it did in 2007, 2008, 2009, then we can wor- avoid the worst aspects of the economic downturn. Uh, that And so that w- we know how to do that. <laughs> That's not that hard. <laughs> now, when you do a report like the one you did with um, ATF last month, um, who sees those reports? Well, we started doing those reports on sort of the billionaire growth. We've been doing those for years. And then it happened that, you know, we were doing this report and it was in the middle of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic. And we started to track billionaire wealth gains. Uh, Tom, that, those reports have been covered in over 1,200 media outlets um, internationally, but mostly here in the U.S., uh, we've never seen anything like it in terms of the, the sort of the media coverage. So people see that, and it, it even was part of the presidential debates, you know, the, the fact that billionaire wealth was surging uh, as unemployment was rising and and uh, the number of COVID caseloads was rising. So it's it's touched a lot of people. I think it's become part of how we understand why this pandemic is different. Like, you know, during the 2007, 2008 2009 economic recession, billionaire wealth went down along with everyone else's economic circumstances. And it took two and a half years for U.S. billionaires to get the level of wealth back that they had in 2007. And in this case, it's quite, it's the opposite. These folks are, they're not, there's no shared sacrifice. There's no shared pain. This is, they are cashing in at a level un, unseen, even in stable economic times. Chuck, I have to take a break here. Can you stand by for about four minutes, and we'll dig into this some more? I'll be, I'll be here. All right. My guest is Chuck Collins from the Institute for Policy Studies, and uh, we're talking about income inequality, and we're going to talk a lot more about that when we return. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, WFOV, our voices radio in Flint, um, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more with Chuck Collins from the Institute for Policy Studies right after this. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about income inequality with Chuck Collins from the Institute for Policy Studies. Chuck, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. You bet. Good being with you, Tom. We were talking before the break a little bit about, and, and I, I, I still wrestle with this notion that working families suffer, and yet billionaires' net worth jumps by nearly a third. And how is that possible when you're losing customers? And I, and I understand it's not that simple, but it, it begs the question, do we have two economies? Yeah, I do think you're you're onto something here, which is that there are it's sort of a two tier economy. Um, there there's a there is a billionaire and a kind of a Wall Street financial phenomena, which is delinked from the real economy. Yeah, and so then, then the other like economy this. is the one that we kind of grew up knowing, where you know people trade with each other for goods and services. Yeah, I kind of make I think I call that the real economy. It's the, the economy of goods and services and exchange. And uh, and then there's what I would call the casino economy or kind of the speculative economy. And that's kind of like the, the betting parlor. And that's always, that's sort of based on the betting on the movement of money and the, you know, uh, hedging up and down. And it, it's delinked. So, so you can have, you know, 600 billionaires, you know, seeing their wealth go up by almost a trillion dollars, that's all happening in that casino economy. The, the only problem is that then those folks use that wealth and power to rig the rules of the real economy more in their favor. That's when it, that's when it, that's why it matters that, uh, you know, these games are going on and it, it kind of puts at risk the rest of us. Yeah. It, it just seems like there's two different pools of cash, you know, instead of one pool of cash and, and it's, and it and it's not being distributed um, appropriately. But the, I do think that at some point, even the speculative casino economy is uh, hurt by the if the real if people are not doing well in the real economy. This goes to your point. You know, if the middle class doesn't have a nickel in their pocket to spend on consumption, at some point that's got to affect the casino economy because they're. You know, the, the, it, it it can't completely delink from the other economy, and that's that's where I think we're seeing this volatility. You know, the up and down, unpredictability of the market is because it's all just hyper betting going on. I thought um, I read someplace recently, Chuck, that the average American family couldn't handle a four hundred dollar emergency. Yes, what 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 we know is that the Almost the bottom forty percent of households have zero or negative wealth or very little cushion to fall back on. Um, you know, we saw that I think when there was a government shutdown and you had oh, within two weeks all these people lining up for food bank, you know, contributions. Right. And these are people who are in the middle class, and we're seeing it now. You know, that people don't have any kind of financial cushion. Uh, and that the median, you know, if the median household had to come up with a thousand dollars for a car repair without going into debt, they they wouldn't be able to do that. And and see, that should be 
troubling, especially people to people who understand economics and and make their living off of money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are these real economy indicators that should be kind of like red flags. One is what we're talking about, declining savings, declining financial reserves. Another is uh, home ownership. The home ownership rate, Tom, has not recovered. It continues to go down. Uh, you know, it has for about 12 years steadily been going down for all groups. Well, Black, I think Latino, a lot of people have, have decided that real estate wasn't the sure bet it was 30 years ago. Maybe, but I'm I'm just talking about people who are own their home for their for their as their choice of residence. You know, I think uh, it, housing as investment maybe that's that's not true. But people still aspire to own and control their own home, and uh, the reality is fewer people are buying houses, and and many people are losing their housing. So that's a really troubling indicator uh, of well-being. You know. Um, so I think that those are those are the you know we should in addition to looking at things like the stock market I mean we should be looking at these real economy indicators um, in terms of you know the real health and vi- vitality of the economy. Well, we've we've kind of kind of covered the lyrics from that uh, um, that old Billy Holiday song, "Them That's Got Shall Get and Them That's Not Shall Lose." Um, but in before this report, uh, you co-authored, um, I believe, uh, the billionaire bonanza twenty twenty, wealth windfalls, tumbling taxes, and pandemic profiteers. Yes, uh, and we're actually about to come out with a, another report looking at how some of these companies, some of these billionaire companies, how are their essential workers doing? Uh, so, you, t- you know, you take a, a Tyson Foods, a uh, big beatpacking company, uh, you, you, the, the owners have seen their well, their billions increase, uh, and 11,000 of their employees have, have been infected with COVID, you know. Uh, and, and Walmart has seen some interesting uh, trends with regard to wealth at the top and, uh, you know, people that work for them standing in line at food banks. Yeah. I mean, Walmart, you take the three Walton family members who are the principal owners, their combined wealth, uh, you know, went up pro- almost $10 billion under the pandemic. Uh, you'd think that they could chip in 5% of that toward protecting their workers, providing, providing the sort of hazard pay, paid family leave if there's a sick family member, the kind of things that make a huge difference when people are faced between the choice of going to work or put it, you know, putting their children or grandparents at risk. You know, it just seems that, you know, if companies are going to be determined to be people too by the Supreme Court, sure. that they ought to act like people. I guess so. Yeah, they should be held accountable as a person would be for, you know, how they behave. Well, just um, for human decency. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the reason that I brought up the uh, Billionaire Bonanza report is because it included some recommendations about how to, uh, about certain policy things 
that could have a positive impact on this situation. Yeah, and I, I think, um, and even since that report came out, you know, there's there's uh, been a push for what, what we call an emergency uh, pandemic wealth tax on billionaires. Um, Senator Gillibrand, Markey, Sanders put forward a proposal, you know, if, if the billionaire wealth in the U.S. has surged by, you know, a trillion dollars during the pandemic, uh, why, you could have an emergency tax, you know, tax half of it and put it toward sort of some of the things that we're talking about, the $1,200 a month stimulus, the things that actually would help the real economy in this moment. Um, so uh, an emergency pandemic wealth tax. We actually think, you know, during times of war, you know, there there are um, Harry Truman kind of made his name in World War II because he created the Truman Committee, which oversaw war profiteering. Uh, you know, companies that were kind of unfairly and an assessment. Extract- yeah, it's an assessment. You could have an excess profits tax if, for some reason, you know, a company is making so much money because of the unfortunate circumstances people are going through. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, here's an interesting thing. You know, we're we're much more dependent on on these video conferencing technologies now, and those companies have seen their stock go through the roof. Um, video conferencing is essential as electricity right now for for classrooms and for many businesses, and yet they're not regulated. That you know, like electricity. Um, so why wouldn't we say you know this is a public good and it should be protected and nobody should be extracting massive profits off of something that's now become an essential piece of infrastructure. Um, so those are the kind of th- things that we should be thinking about. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned uh, in the uh, Billionaire Bonanza establishing a pandemic profiteering oversight committee um, that would go beyond just oversight of uh, stimulus funds and how they were allocated. Um, and, and that reminds me of things that I've seen here in Michigan and I'm sure in other states where the state attorney general has uh, launched investigations into price gouging during different natural disasters and, and other things that, um, that come up. Yeah, you know, I think that that's... that's really an important role for government. You know, people will say, well, isn't, aren't they just taking advantage of an opportunity? And it's like, it's like, well, okay, if it's a hot summer day and I set up a lemonade stand, I'm entrepreneurial. But if there's a flood and there's no, uh, there's no water and I'm selling bottled water for five times what I paid for it, that's profiteering, you know? And if, if somebody's making extra money off of them, unfortunate circumstance for everyone else that's a form of profiteering and should be we should be protecting the citizenry from those kinds of actions they should be morally discouraged that you know sometimes a committee that just sort of oversees and draws attention to these unethical practices can just remind the rest of society right what's the proper behavior in this situation (laughs) it's not to it's not to take from those who are who are disadvantaged yeah, I'm not going to pay $35 for a roll of toilet paper. Yeah, that that kind of, you know, so that kind of profiteering should be obviously morally discouraged and probably outlawed in certain situations 
or you simply just say, okay, if you did that, uh, you you extra- you've you've just extracted a a rent, if you will, from the rest of us. We're going to tax that away and put it put it back in the public goods. We're going to use it as a stimulus. You know, we're going to send a stimulus check around so that people can participate in the market. Uh, we're going to we're going to tax that that bad behavior, if you will. Um, what is the likelihood? I, I mean, has this become a a partisan issue? It it seems like Democrats, at least in their rhetoric, want to talk about rebuilding the middle class, and you know Republicans want to cut taxes without cutting any uh, government programs, and. You know, it just seems to, uh, I get kind of dizzy watching the pendulum go back and forth. Yeah, it, you know, it, 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 it didn't used to be a partisan issue. I mean, I think, I you know, I grew up in Michigan in the Bill Milliken Republican era where, you know, you had a Republican governor who cared about the environment and the middle class. It's kind of like, okay, I remember the, those days, you know, when... Well, and even, even the, Romney you know, before Milliken. Oh, George George Romney, you know Governor Romney. Those were those were the governors my parents voted for, and you know I I, I just remember that it what you know whether to have an economy that helped expand the middle class was not a point of debate or partisan division. <laughs> um, so so I don't know how it how it became, you know that uh, one party became kind of the doing the bidding of of a very small segment of the population. The you know the wall street and the one-tenth of one percent you know but that that those are the ones who call the shots and the democrats are not immune from that either they've 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 bended toward their the big campaign contributors so in a sense concentrated money and power have 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 corrupted you know the political process in many ways and with that being the case then how do we look at, at reasonable things, like even a temporary assessment? Um, you call it an emergency uh, uh, millionaire income surtax. Um, but how do we get ideas like, hey, everybody, let's chip in and uh, tip the scale on this a little bit and, and see if things don't get better? Um, how, do you, how do you get that going with two parties that are so incredibly beholden to the people who have money. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a pickle. I mean, I think of it as our, our political system has been cap, captured by big money interests. And that makes it all the more important when local, state, and occasionally federal candidates really run, you know, outside that system. They, they don't accept corporate contributions they stand up for independence what what one thing that is heartening i think is you know those policies we're talking about are wildly popular uh you know taxing taxing the wealth of the billionaires you have majority of trump supporters republicans who support those ideas um so those are you know if if somebody wants to run and uh, campaign on those on those issues, they will, they'll get ahead of the parade. Then, you know, it's just that we're, we're sort of now in a, 
a political system where, you know, there's a lot go- lot broken, but you have, you know, all these small rural states that have enormous political power and are even easier to capture politically. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting in Vermont right now. We have, what, 600,000 residents, and we have the same number of U.S. senators as Michigan. Uh, and uh, if, if the Senate was 50-50, let's say just theoretically that the Democrats win the two Georgia Senate seats and it's a 50-50 Senate, the Democrats will represent 41 million more people than the Republican senators. Now, these are structural problems that we actually have to address at some point. Yeah, but what's interesting is the, the Senate as a body was set up to be um, exactly that, to give Vermont an equal say in one of the chambers as California, while the House was the one that was supposed to be tied to representing equal numbers of people. Yeah, I think it was, a, it, it was a, a, in some ways an appropriate balance, systemic balance, but, you know, just like, in again, in the state of Vermont, every town used to have a representative in the state legislature. So my little town with 2,000 people uh, and the town down the road with 40, 40 people, this is a town. They, each of them would have a representative along with Burlington representing 50,000 people. Now, at a certain point, it, it disenfranchises the majority it becomes a, a mechanism for minority rule. And that we're now living in a time of minority rule. Uh, so that's one of our systemic challenges right now. Would it be, would it be more successful to, to try to address these issues from the ground up? I mean, your, your friend Bernie Sanders tried to run a little bit outside the box, but he could just never get past the party leadership. And, and get out front of it and, and get the nomination. Um, would it be better if, if these kinds of programs were t- taken up at the, at the municipal and, and uh, state house levels? Well, it's clearly, you know, that's going to be where there is room to move. And that, in a sense, becomes states become the laboratory of democracy where you can begin to move a policy. The problem is it's just going to, make our states uh, more and more apart. You know, you're, we're going to have states More competitive with each other. Well, competing, but also, like, really different in terms of the quality of life. You'll have some states where it's really easy to vote and some states where it's really hard. You have some states where it's easy to get uh, easier to get food stamps if you lose your job and other places where you're going to have to go through you know, means tests with work requirements. You're going to start to see this pulling apart on on a state level without any kind of unifying principles at the national level. That's that's kind of what's inevitable if, if we just stay on the, on the current track. You mentioned earlier, Chuck, that you and others at the Institute for Policy Studies and inequality.org, and, and of course, you and I go back to... Um, uh, conversations about the patriotic millionaires. Um, this has been going on for almost a decade of people that have some resources, have some money, trying to encourage 
these kinds of changes so that the whole system heals. Um, does it feel like it's stuck in the mud? I think there are days I feel that way. I think, you know, I do think uh, we're kind of reaching the, the end of how, of, a, of how well that system's going to function. And more and more people, I would say more like the people you're describing, the patriotic millionaires constituency are stepping forward and saying, hold on, folks, it is in no one's interest to continue down this road. You know, we, we don't want to become more unequal. We don't want to become more undemocratic. We don't want to have small minority. We don't want to become an oligarchy. I, I like what uh, what Morris Pearl said. He said, I'm as greedy as anybody. I want good roads and good schools for my kids to go to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that's where it's like my selfish interest is not to let these inequalities fester and deepen. Uh, none of us are going to want to live in a society that has that kind of apartheid quality to it. Um, it, it will backfire even on the rich. You know, uh, there is no other planet that the rich can blast off to and live on at this point. Well, it's, it um, seems like it has to at one point if there aren't two separate pots of money. You know, if there aren't two completely separate economies some at some point one has to affect the other yeah exactly that yeah that 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 sort of casino gambling economy in reality cannot delink forever you know right uh, yeah. well chuck we're just about out of time and i know i know you've got to go but as you know i always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the Institute for Policy Studies is a good place to do a little research, but also uh, inequality.org. Um, are there any others that we should include? No, I think I think inequality.org is a is a great resource, and and uh, we have a weekly newsletter that we send out. It comes from me, uh, so people should check that out. Um, you mentioned Americans for Tax Fairness. That's an important organization in terms of that tax conversation uh, and the patriotic millionaires is always interesting, you know, to see what they're up to um, patriotic millionaires.com. Um, and the one thing else I'll mention, I have a book coming out in the new year called the wealth hoarders, how ah. billionaires spend millions to hide trillions. And it's sort <laughs> of about the fact that there's all this money being hidden offshore, but also here in the U S in trusts and, anonymously owned real estate and uh it really is where a lot of the rich are hiding their money it's hiding right in plain view but uh it'll be fun to talk to you about that in the new year when the book comes out well i look forward to that it's it's been a while since we've talked but it's always a pleasure chuck and thank you for spending this time with me this morning thanks thanks to the people of the greater flint area Tennessee right. county i miss you all take all right. ca take care thanks tom bye-bye bye -bye. That was uh, Chuck Collins. He actually grew up in Detroit and uh, is uh, very familiar with Michigan. And uh, his his uh, family were, were the uh, owners of the um, Oscar Mayer Meats. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the final segment of today's show.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening and welcome to the Money Program. Tonight, on the Money Program, we're going to look at money. Lots of it, on film and in the studio. Some of it in nice piles, others in lovely clanky bits of loose change. Some of it neatly counted into fat little hundreds, delicate fivers stuffed into bulging wallets, nice crisp clean checks, pert pieces of copper coinage thrust deep into trouser pockets, romantic foreign money rolling against the thigh with rough familiarity, beautiful wayward calliculate banknotes, filigree copper plating cheek by jowl with tumbling hexagonal milled edges rubbing gently against the terse leather of beautifully balanced bank books. Sorry, but I love money. All money. I've always wanted money to handle, to touch the smell of the rainwashed florin, the lure of the lira, the glitter and the glory of the guinea, the romance of the rouble, the feel of the franc, the heel of the Deutschmark, the cold antiseptic sting of the Swiss franc, and the sunburnt splendor of the Australian dollar. I've got. Ninety thousand pounds in my pajamas. I've got forty thousand French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go Money, 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 money. I wanted to get some new girlfriends So I went and bought a Mercedes Benz A waste of money Eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless So I bought cultured pearls And a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls They repossessed Both the car And the pearls 
I styled my hair Just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants <laughs> The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out Of both cash and credit I found a honey And this is what's funny She don't need my money She works for household finance This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Fifteen stone for Fitzgerald.
That was the uh, choral version, obviously, of the title track from Dan Hall's CD, It's Quiet Where They Sleep, Songs of Shipwreck and Gale. A final nod, uh, I guess, on the show today to um, the fact that this is the 45th anniversary of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and I want to say thanks to all of my guests. Um, Chuck Collins from the Institute for Policy Studies talking about income equality this past hour, but in the hour before, uh, Roscoe Clark, uh, documentary uh, videographer and um, shipwreck uh, aficionado, we'll say, and also my uh, very special guest today, the daughter of the cook, um, Pamela Johnson who uh, was the daughter of Robert Rafferty. He was the cook who went down with the uh, Edward Fitzgerald, uh, one of the 29 people lost on this day 45 years ago in Lake Superior. And I uh, also want to say thanks to my guest from the uh, first hour. He, that was an interesting conversation. Uh, author of the book, uh, Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergent of Designs by Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Simmons was my guest during the uh, 9 o'clock hour where we talked about where do humans really come from and how shall we define what it means to be human? Are we becoming more like machines? Interesting uh, book and um, interesting uh, discussion of macroevolution and intelligent design theory. And don't forget, if you ever miss an interview that you want to hear, you can search our archives and, uh, and find them. It helps if you know the date and the hour that you're looking for. But, uh, but they're there. Um, anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. That's Smoking George Winters, Tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's hit. time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow morning with... Um, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery talking about SCOTUS and presidential succession and that will be followed by uh, armchair politics with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined by uh, political operative and elector Bobby Clayton Walton. Good night everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.